Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Joyce, the president of Insight North America, and we discuss how Insight guides companies through the complex digital transformation process, the advantages of consolidating your IT vendors down to one, and why it's important to take care of your people first to achieve the best business outcomes. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. It's Joyce. Hey. How are you? That's Peachy. How are you? <sighs> Living the dream. <laughs> cool. What's happening? That's a, that's a good beard you're sporting there. I grew up myself. You did? I did. Nice job. I did. This is uh this is six months of beard. So I, I cut it there because it grows like really fast. So it's been about a year since I've had the beard since COVID. And uh my wife loves it. There's a lot of COVID beers and beards in our family too. And really like long COVID hair. So it's fun. Nice. <laughs> now good. now do people ask you? So your husband has a beard then? No, my husband does it, but all of our, we have uh, three boys and, a, and a, a daughter and a, lots of boyfriends and girlfriends and stuff like that. And there's a lot of beards. The people that hang around the house, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're all living here. They're all working here. It's crazy. So where are you calling <laughs> in from? I'm calling from Austin. Where are you? We are over in Florida. Oh, where in Florida? Uh, well, so I tell most people Tampa, but we live in okay. Bradenton, which is like an hour south of Tampa. Cool. Bradenton, Sarasota area. So nice time of year in Florida, right? Uh, it's, Not too hot yet. No, it's too hot. It's officially too hot. Oh, it is already. I, I wear this jacket's deceiving. Uh, what I do is I use the air conditioner to its max capacity <laughs> so that I get to connect with my friends when I interview them in Colorado and whatnot. Ah, yeah, that's good. That's good. But you don't need that if you're talking to somebody in Austin. It's hot here too. Oh, I know. I know. We're actually pretty excited. We're doing a, um, a 10 month or a 10 week trip around the United States. And we're going to come back around through Texas, like Arizona and Texas. We've got oh, a lot really? of, yeah, we have a lot of friends and my dad's side of the family is from Lubbock. And so we like it out there. Oh, it's good. Yeah. 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 We actually, my husband's going to do that drive from Austin to Phoenix tomorrow. Oh, really? Tomorrow in the next day. It's like 16 hours, but there's a lot of desert between here and there. Have you seen like the night sky out in the Arizona desert, like the Milky Way and all of that? No, I mean, I haven't, I haven't really been very much in Arizona, but I'm going to start being there more. So that's good. No, but it's, I've heard it's, it's gorgeous. And the sunsets in Arizona are beautiful. Oh, so beautiful. It's like hunting down yeah. nature. Exactly. So there's some big forest fires, like in Big Bend. I don't know if you're planning to go through there, but it's not, there's some rough patches right now. It's so dry. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, we'll, um, yeah, we're, we know our, our first stop is we're going from Florida to Montana. And then we're going to oh, be nice. in Montana be okay. yeah, for like six weeks, exploring the parks. And I'm going to be doing the podcast from Montana. And then we're doing two weeks back and we're going to go down. We want to hit the Arizona desert and then see our friends in Texas. Cool. Yeah. Well, what a fun adventure. Good for you. Yeah. Something, something different. So I want to talk about you though. This show is all about okay. you, my friend. You're the star introducing oh, Joyce. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah. we just kind of hang out and talk. But I want to I want to get to know you as a person. I, I know you've got your professional career and your insight, but I want to know like the background story. Take me back to like young Joyce Mullen. Oh my gosh, really? Yeah, really. Okay, well, I grew up most of the time in Connecticut, so I'm from New England. Born in Waco, Texas, though, so that comes in handy when you're hanging out with Southerners. You can say you're born in Waco. 
went to school in New England. Um, I had six kids in my family, kind of a Brady Bunch kind of family. I'm the oldest. After college, I went out and worked for one of my professors in Monterey, California for a while, which was fantastic and tons of fun. And I went to college with my husband. At the time, we were good friends, and he ha also happened to move out to the Monterey area. So we we got married at a very young age. We've been married for almost 35 years, and um, but he's fantastic. And we've had four kids moved all over the place, traveled all over the place. We feel very lucky about that. Our kids are fantastic. They are really, really important to us. We have two dogs. That's the story. I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing about your family. That is amazing. How about yours? All right. So my family, I have, uh, I met my wife about seven years ago. We've been married for about four and we have two kids. We have Aria. She's about three and a half. And then we have Lachlan. Oh my gosh, you're so lucky. Oh, just over so two. Fun. So an older girl, oh, younger you're, boy. You're in, oh, so fun. Yeah. How, how do you do it? Like, give me some advice. How do you be a good parent or be a good mom and then like also raise the family, but also kick butt in your career? Well, I mean, I think it's helpful to marry well or have a good partner. I mean, because it, it's not something anyone does by themselves, right? So my husband's amazing and he has taken... He, um, he's a historian. He um, got his PhD while I was doing, going to business school. And he, then in our first jobs, we lived, we lived in Europe for a while and he could just do his, his work from there. And he's been very willing to be the more flexible parent. So that's been really helpful, but I mean, it's very much a partnership and you know, it helps. I think it helps if you don't have to sleep a lot. <laughs> I think it helps if you have a sense of humor because it definitely requires all that. Yeah. It's like you're up anyway, because of the kids might as well <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get some work exactly. done. Yeah. Um, so give me the overview real quick of what insight does. Yeah. So, um, so insight, I mean, I, I'm super excited to talk about insight. It's very, I'm very new to insight. I've been here for six months, so I cannot by any stretch of the imagination say that I'm, a, I'm, I'm an expert, but I have worked with Insight during my 21-year stint at Dell. The last few years, I was leading the global channel, so I got a chance to work with Insight as a partner. And what's been fascinating about Insight is that it's gone through, like everybody, through a pretty massive transformation over the last five years. So Ken Lamnick and the leadership team have done a really good job assembling a kick-butt portfolio, honestly. I mean... So we, we've combined the legacy of sort of a very strong supply chain oriented capacity and capability around hardware and software resale with a whole bunch of very carefully curated services companies to help us sort of build out the capability so that we could not only provide the technology, but also help our customers implement the technology so they could get the outcomes that they're looking for. And we do that through our services, our professional services, managed services. And so we, what Insight does is it helps these companies of all kinds of different sizes um, in all different industries who are trying to figure out how to get the best use out of technology to improve their customer experience, improve you know, how productive their team members are, improve their processes, their operations, improve and grow their business. So as a solutions provider, we're really well positioned to be kind of that one partner to help with some of these pretty complicated decisions and a pretty complex journey. 
what I always said at, at, when I was at Dell and I say it now is, man, technology is not getting any simpler. So the choices are increasing pretty dramatically. Everything from processors to different types of clouds that um, customers can use. And they really need somebody to guide, someone who's seen a ton and sort of done this a bunch of times with customers to guide them through their own kind of um, digital transformation journeys. And, um, you know, and some of these projects require 10 plus partners to get something actually done. If you're going to implement, for example, um, an intelligent edge solution. And so we can do all of that for customers. And it's super exciting because you got to be a big fan of technology. You got to truly believe that technology can help us solve some of the world's most vexing problems, which I do believe. And um, you got to be able to work across a vast group of partners to get the right skills, the right solution in place to deliver the outcomes customers are looking for. And those outcomes are things like, hey, I want a production line that's going to create less scrap. I want a, a process that's safer for my team for my team members. Or I want to, you know, deliver a higher value or a better customer experience in a retail store. Those are the things customers care about and technology can help them do that. So do you have like a specific area of business? I know you're a large company, but do you have like, is retail larger or maybe like oil and gas? Is there a specific industry that you're more popular in? You know, um, that's a great question. I mean, there are, we, we definitely have sort of areas of focus. So we've, we've done a ton of work in the manufacturing space, a bunch of work in the retail space, a bunch of work in the banking space, a bunch of work in the hospitality industry. It, it's interesting because what we, when you build these solutions, lots of times, 90% are pretty of these solutions are pretty consistent industry to industry. We call that a horizontal solution. And so it's really around kind of, you know, which software are you using at the, for the last 10% or um, how, how do you package up so it makes sense in an oil refinery versus a, a car manufacturing plant versus a retail store? So, so we support all different industries, but we do modify the solution slightly to make sure it works for the industry that our customers are, are in and for the outcome that they care most about. And then what drove you like into this? Like, when did you fall in love with technology? You know, I spent my first almost 10 years of my kind of real career, I would say, at Cummins Engine Company. Cummins Engine Company is a diesel engine manufacturer, so it's pretty different from, from Dell or Insight. But what I learned there, and I, was, I did all sorts of different jobs there. I was, I was in charge of a distribution business. I was in charge where we were trying to sell, you know, move filters all around the world. We got to live in, in Belgium while we were doing that, while I was doing that. I was, I was a plant manager for a while and what I could tell, and that was many years ago, but what I could tell then is that technology was changing how we did distribution, how we thought about inventory management, how we thought about our manufacturing production lines, how we thought about material planning and scrap and all that sort of stuff. And I had a friend who, um, who went to Dell and um, she said, Hey, you should come down and check it out. I mean, you, you would really, really like it here. So Michael Dell had just written his book, Direct from Dell, and I um, had read it and I thought, yeah, I should go check this out. And I left with an offer the same day and I called my husband from the airport and said, hey, we're moving to Texas. And then I had a, an incredible set of opportunities at Dell working on the uh, sort of supply chain issues at Dell, working on the technology side, moving into the sales organization, 
doing sales ops, running various businesses at Dell, ultimately um, running what we called our OEM division or our intelligent edge division, which is where we sold technology that was part of something bigger, badder, better. Like think about an MRI machine has a computer in it or a, a gas pump has a computer in it or those kinds of things. And I absolutely fell in love with that business because um, that's a, absolutely an area where if the customer does better, Dell did better. And so our, our goals were so aligned and I loved that. And then I got the chance to continue with that business, which is, was growing really fast and is super interesting. And, to, and I got the chance to lead our global partner business, which was half the company. And I loved it. And I got to, I got to you know, learn all about different partners all over the world. And I could see which partners were doing which kind of work and how they were solving customers' problems. And it was, yeah, I've been hooked. I've been hooked for a long time, as you could tell. What was like the exciting part, like when joining Insight, you know, you're talking with them, you got to know them through your channel partners, but like what really sealed the deal that you were like, I want to go work with this company full time? Yeah, you know, it, it was, um, so I made the decision to leave Dell, which was a super difficult one. Um, but I did, I made that decision just because I'd been there for so long and I was worried that I wasn't learning as fast as I had up till that point. So I made the decision to leave. And then I had been talking with Ken, um, the CEO of Insight for quite some time um, as a partner, of course. But then a couple months earlier, they had knew that they had a, a need for a new leader of North America. So I started talking with them and I knew already that the portfolio at Insight was broader than any other partner that I had seen. Maybe with a couple of that you couple that were close in Europe and places like that or in, in Asia, but the the strategy, the acquisitions that Ken and team had made was was highly differentiated. And then I gotta say the foundation, the values at Insight are really, really are really consistent with how they operate. So we talk of Insight a lot about hunger, heart, and harmony. And so it was the, this company is built on really, really sort of a strong foundation of values that are aligned with my own. So that, and plus the opportunity to do what I thought I could help with, which is create even more value for customers, seemed like an, a great opportunity and too good to pass up. So when people ask you at like parties or events, like, you know, what do you do? What's the short answer? We help customers um, use technology to make their businesses better and run smarter. Everybody wants that. Yeah, everybody needs that. <laughs> By the way, if you're not doing that, your competitors are. So you got to get with the program. That is 100% true because there's going to be someone out there who's hungrier. I'm a very hungry person. Absolutely. I have a very hungry team. And I realize that the distance in which a company will travel is directly proportionate to how much hunger it has. Exactly. And that's one of our values, hunger. Yeah. You got it. So we don't even buy paid lunches here. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be hungry, right? <laughs> no food. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Okay. So tell me about like what your customers look like. You talked a little bit about these four verticals that you focus on, but can you give me like a customer use case or a customer story of some sort? Sure. I would love to. This is the most fun part. So we, um, I mentioned that Insight kind of started as a supply chain optimization technology provider, right? So we had a long-standing relationship with a really large grocery store, and we have been providing them with devices for years and years and years. But at, over the past couple of years, as we made all these acquisitions and as we've increased our portfolio and improved our skills, 
we've also been helping them really reimagine and modernize what their customer experience in their stores was. So we, we did all sorts of analysis. We looked at kind of their customer buying patterns, tried to figure out how to improve product stocking mechanisms and algorithms, figuring out how to staff to line up more effectively with when customers were in the store and figured out how to better kind of manage any kind of disruption in their stores. We put in an intelligent edge solution that looked at everything from real-time pricing updates with you know, dynamic pricing in, in the shelves for products to monitoring energy usage um, for it, in their lighting and their freezers and things like that. So a, a fun fact is, you know why there's so many really bright lights in grocery stores? Well, it's because you gotta have really bright lights to read those little sort of labels on the shelves. But if you have technology enhanced labels, it's easier to read them and you don't have to keep those lights on such a light on so brightly. And grocery stores are saving lots and lots of money on energy that way. And it's also a better customer experience. Who likes to be in that really bright iridescent light, right? So, you know, historically, I would say grocery stores would use only their point of sale data. So it's only at the checkout where they really collected data. But now um, we can use things like sensors that are tracking in-store traffic, like how many, how many people are walking down certain aisles? What is the status of the products on the shelves? How, how are the freezers and the refrigeration units functioning? Are they keeping the food safe and at the right temperature? What, what is, what's going on with our dynamic pricing? What's going on within in-store advertising? All this stuff, we're capturing all kinds of information from so many different sources and then providing a pretty comprehensive and dynamic look at the business. So, and that helps, it helps them make better decisions. It helps them innovate it. They can test things out. They can figure out what works better. And it's, it's a great deal for, for, for that grocery store. And we've taken, we've taken those same kinds of solutions and deployed them in other kinds of environments, retail stores that maybe aren't grocery stores or a brewery um, in Cleveland. We did the same kind of thing. So it's really fun because it's, it's giving our customers a different way to understand their business, make decisions about their business and deliver better experiences for their customers. How do you choose with like, with all these great projects going on within the org, right? From the grocery stores to the breweries and all those, like, how do you go about choosing like which customers to like drop in on and really like get to understand them to stay connected with the business? Well, you know, I mean, we have a pretty huge customer base and we have really tight relationships that have been built over years and years and years and years with so many great companies. And so we really start with those because they're now thinking about technology very differently. 10 years ago, you'd mostly spend time with the IT department, right? You'd mostly be trying to sell them laptops and servers and storage and things like that. But now, because the because this date these data are so valuable, you really are spending more time with kind of the business units that are driving the revenue in the in the company, and that's really exciting because that's where there's tons more upside. On the you know ten years ago, it's really about cost management, and now it's if you spend more time with the business units, you get to think a lot more about revenue generation and what makes their con- their company grow. So. We love those projects where customers are excited about engaging with us at the business unit level, and not just procurement and, and the IT team. 
So I was reading your website, like one of the advantages that is commonly brought up is like that you get all your stuff, all your IT services from one vendor, right? But I'm yeah. that made me think, okay, so when are they coming to you? Have they already decided what they want to do? And they're like coming to you to help you, you know, coordinate everything. Are they coming to you and needing you to be a consultant to help them transform their business? Cause they don't know what they need to do. What part do you come in at? Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the customer. So some customers have really big teams that have been thinking about how do they transform their businesses over a long period of time. They, they have a plan, they know what they want to do, they understand what data is available, and they're generally looking for someone who can help them execute the plan. But more often than not, especially when it comes to the power of these data, customers, and certainly this is true if you sort of get away from the very largest customers, they just don't have the skills, they haven't really thought so much about it. Um, they haven't really dedicated time and effort to thinking about this. And then we, you know, we start with them more with some kind of workshop that really helps them identify what their opportunities are. So we love those because um, we can help, we can really help them shape their strategy. So you have both sides. You'll have, you have like a consulting yep. function that will workshop with you to figure out how to transform. And you can also take people in that already have plans and just execute it with them. Yep, exactly. It's pretty smart. Now I see why you joined. <laughs> Exactly. So what, what sort of, there's obviously like advantages, right. To having a, a partner that is connected with all of these different IT services, right. Cause there's going to be cost savings and things like that. But right. what do you see in your sales process? What are the reasons, like the advantages that your customer gets? Well, for sure. Um, well, there's several. So for sure there are, there are, I mean, you gotta, you gotta be able to talk about how can you reduce kind of the operating expenses associated with deploying these solutions? So that's, that's always going to be an issue because if you want to free up money at the customer's, uh, the customer's, um, at the customer's site to actually spend on doing things actually better, you got to make sure that the cost of running the core systems, it gets reduced. So that's always, always an opportunity. Um, but then the real sort of the, the, I would say the more exciting opportunities are these, opportunities at the edge where you can help them grow revenue, you can help them improve the customer experience, you can maybe reduce dangerous work for, for teammates, for the employees of the customer who are maybe having to walk along railroad tracks to monitor the health of those tracks and replace that with some analytics that are picked up as a train goes over those tracks, for example, or you can improve patient outcomes. I mean, that's where I think that's where there's really an opportunity to unlock the power of the data. Are you guys doing a lot of work with IoT? Yeah. Uh, so IoT has gone through lots of different names. Um, I know. <laughs> so I've been working on that for a long time. But but this notion of kind of IT, which is kind of that sort of traditional approach, and, and obviously IT is getting more agile and flexible, et cetera, et cetera, but combining that with operating technologies, like I mentioned, as a, as a plant manager, I cared a lot about what were the what were the systems that allowed my production lines to keep running right so it's when you combine those two that you can really sort of dramatically improve the results of, of a company um, or an operation and that's that's why the intelligent that's the new name really is intelligent edge um, and that's going to be bigger than the public cloud no doubt about it 
And then that's just because of physics. You got to be able to make real-time decisions at the edge. You can't sort of send something back to a public cloud and wait seven seconds if you're trying to you're trying to um, make sure an, aut an autonomous vehicle is not going to crash into something, right? That's how I would want it. Yes, I would yeah. write a letter to Elon Musk if it wasn't designed that way. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, assuming you could live through the ride, right? <laughs> Right. So uh, when you're going about like your life and you see all this technology, are you always like connecting business back to it? Because. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Not just technology, also like customer service, customer experience, all that stuff. Right. Yeah, you start to see opportunities everywhere. You start to see businesses in a new light. I can. Yeah, <laughs> I can actually exactly. see. All right. This business is on a slow downward trend or this yeah. business is like undiscovered and it's going to be huge. And so I like to, do you guys do investments and purchase companies at Insight? Yeah. I mean, how the, the way that Ken and team assembled this the incredible portfolio was largely through acquisitions. So there were, I don't know, I don't know how many companies, maybe 10, 15, something like that over the last 10, 12 years that, that um, Insight has bought to, to pull together this portfolio. Can you give me the context of like how large the company is? Yeah, so we are just over $9 billion in revenue. $9 billion? Yeah. Okay. And then how many people is that? 11,000 people. That's crazy, Joyce. You're responsible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, 27, I would say 8,000 of those in total are really great salespeople, technical architects, engineers, those kind of, I mean, these, in the technology I mean, basically the, that's the, that, that is the source of the expertise that we, that we offer to our clients. So it's pretty, it's pretty powerful. What's the hardest part of the hardest part of this job? We're, we're trying to always get, first of all, our customers to understand the art of the possible with technology. That's a, that's a big chunk of what we do, helping them see kind of how we can help them improve their customer experience, their, their process flows, et cetera. So, but you know, that's going to continue for a long time. I think, I think it's also driving the change internally. So our, you know, we got to get, we got to get 10% better every single year. We got to get 10% smarter every single year. So that's all of us, all 11,000 people. So we got to make sure we've got the right kind of support for our teammates to, to drive that level of improvement because our customers deserve nothing less. I love that. You know, what's interesting for me, um, as you were talking about that kind of, it made me think of this. So I would say that I've considered myself like successful, like as a human, right? Like with the things I care about, uh, like health and things of that nature, but then professionally only like recently. Right. And one of the things that I've noticed is that I'll have, you know, other professional friends and they'll, they'll see the growth or whatever in the business that I have. And they'll be asking me, you know, like how you're doing it. And they, they have different businesses of different sizes, but one of the things I'm picking up on is it's actually hard to get them to invest in themselves, like in their own businesses. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking about that because that's what you're essentially doing. You're having to get people to invest into their own business. And I, I found it oddly funny because I pay myself the least amount of money possible and I roll everything back into my company because I enjoy having more people over more objects, right? Um, and, right. and I know that if I just do this long-term in the next 10 years, it's going to be crazy big. Right. And so, mm -hmm. but when I, when I ran up against this with these people, I'm like, your, their growth stops at the moment that they're no longer willing to invest in it and they just start pulling the cash out. And so I, yeah, absolutely. yeah. So 
like, do you have this conversation with companies that are, you know, probably like some mid-level companies that need to invest in themselves to stay relevant, but they're a little, have you noticed that some are hesitant to? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you're helping me a lot because I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but for sure. So, so I guess there's a couple dynamics. One is there's fear. We see that a lot, right? Oh my gosh, what's everyone else doing? How do I do it? So I would say that those are, those are not the businesses that you're talking about, but then there's plenty of businesses and we probably spend less time with them because honestly, they don't seem like really good prospects for us, right? If they're not curious and excited to innovate and to make the investment. I'm not even talking about kind of what they pay us or anybody else or what they buy. I'm just talking about making that commitment to say, I want to be better. Then we're probably not talking to them. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that, but it's probably a, a screen that we should probably more formally put in place. Yeah. It's interesting to look at different companies and watch their values and see how like from the outside, before I started the podcast and talking to all these great leaders, I kind of scoffed at the values. You know, you would see this, oh, those are just, you know, words, bullet points sent down from the executive team. And now that I've gotten to do like 400 of these and go around the world and like meet these people and see their teams and get all this variety of experience, you know, not everybody's awesome, but most people are. And it realized that that is like the single biggest indicator is does the company have the values? Do they care about them? And then do they live them? Are those an accurate reflection of what's actually happening on a day-to-day basis within the org? And if they are, typically the company's going to do really well and they are doing well and they're growing, but there are times when I've seen it, like those are just bullet points that are on the website or some sort of annual initiative and the company doesn't live it out and there's like discontent and disjointedness in the in the org. Yeah, and you you raise a good point. So we you know, when we when we're starting on a digital transformation project with a customer, the technology is kind of the least of our worries. You really got to think about kind of is the org ready to change? And you got to understand that and you can usually suss that out with just some pretty basic questions trying to understand what's making you think you got to you got to drive this change. Are you, what are you investing in it? Why are you investing in it? And um, have you figured out what problem you're trying to solve kind of thing? But those, those questions can unearth a bunch of that. But then this is all about people. This is all about people in process. So you got to get ready for that change. And you got to say, okay, um, this is not about building an app. This is about really changing how you're going to improve, you know, how your customers experience an interaction with your customer, with your company, or how they get value out of what you're offering them. And that process, that preparation process is so, so important as you think about these kinds of things. And by the way, customers fall out at every stage of this stuff, right? I mean, because if they don't really know what problem they're trying to solve, then they're probably not going to be successful. If they don't aren't willing to put um, the time in to sort of prepare for that change and get really their, their organization kind of ready for it, then it won't be successful. And then you got to do all the change management work with the team. You got to enable them. You got to listen to them. You got to talk with them. You got to make a part of the process. You got to figure out how to get them excited about the, you know, what's coming on the other, out the other end. And then, um, then you can actually start writing the app or building the technology or building the solution because that's not the hard part. It's all those other things. And then of course you got to manage it once you're, once you're done because you're really not done. It's just 
you know, it begins a state sustainability effort that's got to continue for a long time. What sort of mistakes do you see? Because you're in this, everybody talks about digital transformation, right? It's a hot topic, but your business that's, you're built to digitally transform other companies. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Do I have an accurate understanding? Nope, right. Okay. So what, so because you're an expert in this space, like what mistakes are the common mistakes that you see companies make when they fail to digitally transform? Like I used to be uh, app developer for 10 years and my favorite customers were the ones that would come get quotes from me then say it's too expensive go lose a bunch of money somewhere else and then come back to me like the second like a year later and the reason why they are my favorite is because they were the quickest to close <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. like let's do it we want it done right the first time we're willing to pay for it now we just had a year of heartache um, but you you obviously would have some experience seeing companies failing to go through this transformation and so I want to know what what common mistakes do you see out there yeah, you know, I think oftentimes this is this is kind of interesting. I mean, sometimes you know, we have seen, I shouldn't say often, but we definitely have seen customers who say, you know what, like my CEO or the board is saying, I need to be in the cloud. Help me get to the cloud. Or I need to be, um, I need to have an app. Or I mean, it's kind of it's sort of jumping to that fourth step that I was just talking about, right? Which is Kind of what technology do you want to deploy? And so it feels to to some of those decision makers that they're just getting pressure to do whatever the trend is. So I need to use, I, hey, I got to do AI. Can somebody give me some IoT? I mean, those kinds of things are really dead giveaways that um, probably haven't defined the problem effectively, probably haven't defined what outcomes you're looking for, probably haven't prepared for the change, probably haven't sort of started getting the organization ready for that. And so though that is, that's probably the most common. And, and I think you're exactly right. People can spend a lot of money sort of jump into a solution without, without really thinking about what they're, what they're trying to get out of it. So I, I was reading around and in the, in the notes, like preparing for the interview, they had this like five steps of digital transformation. Now I can't yeah. remember. <laughs> I can't remember all five unless it was like maybe a talk I was giving. Do you know all five steps of digital transformation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think they're pretty consistent with what I was just talking about. So you got to know what you're trying to solve. What's the challenge? What's the catalyst for change? What are you, what outcomes are you looking for and why? So that's back to your point. Are you really clear about what you're trying to get done? Then you got to prepare for it. I mean, that means you got to have, you got to start getting the organization thinking about what do we look like today? How will we transform whatever process or whatever um, experience we're trying to transform? And then how will that look on the other side? And you got to think about that, not only in terms of technology, but also business process flow. And also you got to make sure you're thinking about things like security and what data you're trying to collect. And it's really about sort of getting a really clear sense of where you are today and where you want to go. Then the next one is enabling the workforce. So everything comes down to people, people and process. And you've got to make sure people are with you. You got to understand kind of because they're smarter than you. I mean, they, they know those processes way better than you do. So you've got to make sure you're listening really carefully to what's important to them, getting the feedback, engaging them in the conversation, making them make sure, you know, building them into advocates for these changes that you're driving. And only then do you actually implement the technology, the solution. Um, and when you do that, you got to sort. You should use modern practices like how, how do you make it as interactive as possible? How do you make it as agile as possible? 
Um, how do you um, control for risk and compliance issues, that kind of thing. And then, um, and then you got to manage it after you implemented that because you're not done. You just got, you got a new product, you got a new service, you got a new capability, and then you're going to want to improve that over and over and over again. Yeah, nobody told me in business that once you make the business and you've got something that works, you have to continually make new things that work. <laughs> exactly. You can't be done. Yeah. If you're done, somebody else is doing a better job. Yeah. It's like you're always going out of business. Like it's, yeah. it's this concept, right? It's like, <laughs> that's a very, that's a very negative. I know, I know. I think there's always an opportunity for improvement. There we go. I like, I like, see, if I hang around listening to those Elon Musk interviews, he's like, we reduce the probability of failure. We don't achieve success. <laughs> he's brilliant though. Gosh, you got to love him. I love how he boils it down to, Hey, you got to just have the best solution. You got to make the service that your service, whatever the best in the world, you got to make your product the best in the world. I mean, it is kind of that simple. It is. And if you've ever hung around a Tesla store, the salespeople almost like are sitting back and other customers are like selling the other people in the store. Yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I know. People love their Tesla. I just bought one this weekend, actually. For my, I haven't had a Tesla before. So um, anyway. What an I, experience. I'm excited about it. Which, yeah, which one did you get? The X? No, I got the Y. The Y. Nice. The Y. Carton. The X, like you can't get an X until like, I don't know, November. Oh, everything's back ordered. You can't get so much stuff, right? I was just working on getting a truck and they're like, um, so I called around and they're like, yeah, we raised the price $3,800 because it's called a market adjustment because you can't purchase them. They, they're selling the moment they leave the factory floor before they hit the dealerships. I was like, get out of here. You can't, you can't get a hot tub. A hot tub is back ordered for a year. I don't know. <laughs> It's crazy. It's, I mean, I got, I'm glad the economy is doing well, right? That's good and for most people, but not for everybody. That's, that's the issue. I know. It's so weird. All these little micro supply chain issues that have happened. Like we were all aware of like the national one was like the toilet paper at first, but it's like a year and a half later, we have these like weird outages of things. Well, but, and by the way, technology, I mean, the supply chain issues and technology are super interesting because first of all, the demand is off the charts because of obvious reasons everybody now i mean people used to have maybe one computer per per their house and now they have like five or seven or ten or whatever but also everything everything out there is getting smart right so you need those same you need some kind of processor you need some kind of memory you need you need um all these products so i think uh it's a good time to be in technology because uh, there's a lot of demand for a long time do you guys have supply chain customers do you get into that world at all oh yeah for sure very cool uh, have you got, what was like the coolest, have you ever gotten to visit like a factory? Like, oh, you worked at Dell and they kind of did it. What's the coolest factory oh floor gosh, yeah, that you've tons. been on? The coolest manufacturing factory floor you've been on? General Atomics. They they make drones. Ooh. Did you get to see a drone uh, swarm? I got to launch a drone. You got to launch a drone? Yeah. Tell me about this. Cool. Like, what do you mean? Yes. Well, there's, you know, computers are in drones, obviously, because that's how they fly. And I went to visit a customer, General Atomics, and, um, they, I got to like, basically when you launch a drone, it's like launching an app. <laughs> I mean, it's the same kind of thing. And so I got to launch one. Oh, I thought fun. you put like a drone into some sort of like rocket launcher type thing and like shot it out. And uh, then, no, oh, no. okay. I mean, the military is doing some crazy stuff with drones. Crazy cool stuff. Yes. yes. Crazy cool stuff. And some scary stuff. Have you seen this drone swarms yet? Only, only, you know, on only video. On the web, kind yeah. Of yeah. You know, we're using drones in warehouses to do inventory, basically cycle counting. You know, you can send a drone around and say how many boxes are on this in this location and that kind of thing. Again, crazy, really? crazy, 
crazy cool technology advances. It's very fun. Oh man, that is so cool. I, I love it. I love, we're living in the future, Joyce. I know. How do you feel? I know. It's awesome. <laughs> Like we're the Jetsons. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I've got some leadership questions for you. Okay. Because you seem to be really into this. Uh, good head on your shoulders. If we were to design like a perfect leadership program for your direct reports, what would the the top concept in that program be? Um, I don't know if I can think of only one. Think of give us multiple. That's fine. Well, I'll tell you a couple, I mean, a couple of things that I think are really, really important. So I feel like, first of all, you have to have huge ears. You have to be willing to learn from anyone, anywhere, anytime. And I learned this um, at, at, in the manufacturing plant at Cummins and kind of, I, I quickly started, you know, I could look around the plant and like understand kind of who was, who really knew what was going on. And there was this guy who was like, smoked like four or five packs of cigarettes a day. He, he worked there. And he was the original IOT. He could put his hand like on a, on a machine and tell you when it was going to fail. He could look around the plant and see based on material flow, kind of where the problems were. And this guy was amazing and he could not read or write. He signed his name with an X. So I feel like the first thing is you got to listen and be willing to learn from anyone. And it doesn't matter at all where they went to school or what kind of degrees they have or whatever. You got to you got to find the people who really know what's going on and listen. I'd say the second thing is you've got to be willing and excited about hiring people smarter than you because it makes your job a whole lot easier. And it's really all about people and talent. Another thing that I would say is you got to, you got to be relentless about thinking about the customer first. You got to put yourself in the customer's shoes all the time. You got to make sure you're thinking about everything from their perspective, not yours, because their perspective is the only thing that matters. And you can have the most precise operation and you can make sure it's the most efficient. And it, if the customer doesn't value that or it's not important to the customer, then it's, it's, you're, you're spending time and effort in the wrong spot. And then I think it's all about being accountable and you know, like owning stuff, driving results, taking ownership when stuff is bad. It, you know, if things go wrong, take the, take the hit. Um, your team has to know that you have their back. And, um, and so you spread out the recognition as, lot as proudly and broadly as you possibly can. And when stuff goes wrong, you take the hit. So is this type of stuff, like what you teach and you guys have a leadership program, I assume, cause you're so large. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, but insight has, um, has been doing fair training for a long time. It's a, it's a leadership training set of trainings that are coming, come, that come from West Point. And then uh, we have, we had different ones at Dell, but I mean, I've, you kind of learn the hard way the whole time, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. And then you end up surrounding yourself with people that have the similar values. So yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious to know, like when, when you hear the word leadership, it's, it's kind of ambiguous. People use it in so many contexts. So like, how do you define the word leadership? Yeah. I don't think leadership has anything to do with position. I think leadership is all about a state of mind. And that's what I mean. I think there, there are leaders everywhere in the world. There are leaders who don't have anyone reporting to them. There are leaders who have gazillions of people reporting to them. I think it's, it's not about your station or your position. It is about how you think about your role. I, I believe we have some terrific leaders in the organization who, you know, are 
frontline kind of customer support type people. And then we have terrific leaders in the organization who are great salespeople. We have terrific leaders in the organization who are awesome in the warehouse, who are, do, do a great job every day, set an example. So state of mind. What's the most, uh, like, or the best leadership advice you've ever received? I just did this, um, I just did this article in the um, business, I think it was Business Insider, um, and I told the story about when I was a, a very young plant manager, I was not at all qualified to be a plant manager. I had been in a plant tour once, I think, and I complained one too many times about the delivery from this plant when I was running this distribution business at, at Cummins, and they said, fine, why don't you come be the plant manager? So I said, yeah, sure. And so I went and listened to a bunch of plant managers who'd been doing this for 50 or 60 years. I mean, literally these guys have been doing this forever. And um, this, uh, this guy gave me some great advice and he was a man of very few words. He said, Joyce, just paint the bathrooms. And I, I love that because I, first of all, I had no idea what he was talking about, but it took me a while. And then I finally understood that what he was saying is invest in your team, because if you invest in your team, they're gonna see that you actually care and if you do things like paint the bathrooms on a factory floor when the bathrooms are kind of crappy and old and stuff's broken and, and fix them up, then you're saying to that those team members that they are important because they are. <laughs> and but you got to show them that they're important. So um, anyway, I love the uh, first of all, I love the visuals. Second, it's pretty simple to understand. And third, it came from a guy who was so smart about how to run a manufacturing environment and, um, and a plant. And it really, really helped me. It sticks with you too. paint the bathroom. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Well, as we start to wrap up, I, what's the call to action? How can people learn more about insight? Who would want to become a customer? What's, what's the call to action? Yeah. I mean, I think it, I mean, it's very, it's very broad, but I think anybody who wants to drive improvements in their business, leveraging technology, which I think I'm, course quite biased, but I think that should be every business, every organization, every school, every city, every city, every department of the federal government. I mean, everybody should should want to um, should be excited, curious, and and um, optimistic about what technology can do for them and for their customers. And I think technology is poised to solve some of the world's most vexing problems. And that's everything from how do we personalize medicine and, and you know, literally cure cancer, or how do we solve the environmental challenges that we have all over the planet? I mean, how do we deliver better experiences for patients or citizens or customers? So I, I think you got to be excited about what technology can do for you. And if you need help sorting that out, we can help you. Awesome. Is it, and you guys actually have the domain insight.com, right? Yes. That's so cool. When I saw the insight.com, I was like, this is so cool. I know we have to say no pun intended a lot when we're talking about turning (laughs) data into insights, you know, all that kind of stuff. I love it. Joyce, we did it. We made a podcast. How do you feel? I don't know. I've never made a podcast before, but I listened to lots of them. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.